It is good to be together and celebrate a God who is always good. For the last, I don't know, it's probably been 16, 17 years now, um, our family, my family, has been a bulldog family. We are. Uh, We've had a number of them. Um, Currently, this is Pearl, right? Uh, Pearl is six this week. And I am just a fan of bulldogs because I like tough and lovable. That's what I like the combo. I really do. And so Pearl loves to fight with my son, Nick. Um, he knows, she knows that Nick is strong enough, and so they're a pretty formidable bout. If I were to just play the audio of them fighting, you would think that Pearl is a dangerous dog. I mean, just to listen to her growl and bark, right? But at the same time, she will let my nine-month-old grandson, Theo, just lay all over her. He can poke her in the jowls and pull her ears, and right? She's just cool with that. I have seen our bulldogs get between my children and a perceived threat. I've, I've watched them do that. Now, you know how some dogs are herders, right? Some dogs are pointers. Some dogs are retrievers. Pearl is a sleeper. (laughs) No joke. (laughs) This is one of her more relaxed um, positions, right? With this comes a snore that will rattle the rafters. It's true. When she fights, she fights. But when she sleeps, she sleeps. You ever wish you could be a little more like that? Like when it's time to fight, you could fight. But when it's time to sleep, you could sleep. Let me show you something. King David Uh, makes this statement in one of the Psalms, Psalm chapter 3. You read it this week. Here's what he says in verse 5 and 6. I lie down and sleep. I wake again. We think, okay, that's kind of how it works. I, I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. But watch this. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Okay, is he just being dramatic here? Like is King David just, just you know, using some imagery? To, and the answer is no. What's going on in King David's life when, when he writes Psalm 3 is he is being chased down by an army of soldiers, tens of thousands of them. That army of soldiers is led by none other than David's own son, Absalom, who wants to take the throne from David. And so I want you to get this glimpse of what he's writing here. Tens of thousands, he's, they're literally trying to kill him, and yet he can somehow sleep. 
his own son is betraying him. And yet David can somehow sleep. He could possibly lose the kingship. He could possibly lose the throne, and yet he can somehow sleep. Now, come on. We, if we admit it, know how hard it can be sometimes to rest. Deadlines that are piling up around you. Maybe it's interpersonal conflict like David's life. Uh, you know, something of, of, of family where, it's, where you're at odds. I mean, it could be that it's just one of those seasons where you feel like no matter what you do, it's not enough. It's you against the world, a season of uncertainty where it's hard to rest. So the question I'm posing today is, what does David know that maybe we don't know? And I'm saying I'm glad that you have chosen to be here today to join with us in finding out the answer to that question. I want to welcome those of you who are at all of our campuses today. Thanks for being a part. I want to welcome those of you who are online. Thanks for taking the time to join in with us today. Here's my question. What does David know? What does David know that perhaps if we could choose to put into play in our own lives could help us to rest even in chaos? Here's where we're going to start. I want you to know that you won't rest if you don't rest. <laughs> You're like, Jeff, you did it again, man. Did you like work on that all week long? Yeah. You won't rest if you don't rest. And I know that sounds simple, but by the time we're done today, I want you to grasp what we're trying to say. You won't rest if you don't rest. David, as a little Jewish boy, would have learned to practice something called Sabbath. In fact, it was the fourth of 10 commandments that God gave to his people. I want you to think about this. When God said, okay, I'm gonna give them a quick like 10 things that really, really matter, right? I'm gonna give them just a list of 10 things that if they could get this, man, it'll so help keep their lives on track. And what we're looking at is the fourth of those 10. Here's what it says in Exodus chapter 20 when it talks about the Sabbath. This is what David would have been taught. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. In other words, nobody, right? For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So what, what was the Sabbath? The Sabbath was simply a day each week that they were not to work. A day each week that they were to 
rest. In other words, the Sabbath was this weekly reminder of their dispensability. It was a weekly reminder that the world was going to keep spinning without them. It was a reminder that they were limited. They are not God. It was a lesson in humility. The Sabbath wasn't just for their bodies to recover from six days of work that would have taken place that week. The Sabbath was also about their soul. See, I'm telling you, one of the worst things that can happen is when you and I begin to feel indispensable. And we, like, we, we think we want it. We think we like that. It's something we pursue. Like, I, I want to be needed. I, I want to feel indispensable. We pursue this God-like burden, right? But what we find out, it's incredibly heavy. Like, only God can carry kind of heavy. And so, what the Sabbath is about is the need to put into practice a weekly rhythm, a spiritual discipline of sorts that my heart is reminded of its proper place. So, that's what David is taught to know. On a weekly basis, a day to rest, that was his practice. So, here's what I'm telling you. When the time came that tens of thousands are pressing in to take him, he can still sleep uninterrupted. I'm, I'm telling you, because David rehearsed over and over in his heart from birth, right? Every Sabbath was the reminder, who's in charge? God's in charge. Who is sustaining all of us? God is sustaining all of us. And because he is reminded of that on a weekly basis, when we are reminded of that on a regular basis, it frees us to rest. We can rest even in chaos. So let me show you something really quickly out of just the first chapters of, of Scripture and then I'm just going to give you a quick list of how do, we, how do we Sabbath in our week? How do we do that? How do we rest? First, I want to just show you something. When you, when you, when you look at the, the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, it is the account of God creating. And it is there that you find really the first picture of Sabbath, all right, a day of rest. God is creating, it's a sequence of days, and we're told that on the sixth day, God creates mankind. He creates man and woman, he creates Adam and Eve, and he gives them this charge in Genesis chapter 1. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. So they're created, and God says, this is the work that I have for you. This is the, the first commission, this is your responsibility. But let me remind you of something. Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Here's the picture I want you to see. On day six, Adam and Eve are made. 
And it is then that they are informed of the responsibility, the work that they are to do. And then on the next day, they do what? They rest. On the seventh day, they do what? They rest. In other words, I want you to see humanity's first week of work literally started with a day of rest. They did nothing on day six to be created. That was all God. And I'm saying they don't even yet have a chance to go to work so that they can earn, right, the gift that they've been given of life. They don't even have a chance to, to do something. God says, first, we're going to rest. We're going to rest. We often work, I think, in order to find rest. I think that's what people often do. They, they try to work in order to find rest. The accomplishments that we can make, the achievements that can be done, what, what we bring together, that is what we believe will somehow bring us rest. But from the beginning, God established that we were created to work, but created to work from a place of rest. In other words, here's the statement, work from rest, not for rest. And I'm telling you, it is a complete difference in how you see life. To work from rest, not for rest. We usually think you got to work to earn some rest. That's how our culture speaks, right? You, you need to earn the rest that you get. We work for rest. But when God created humanity on the sixth day, the pattern that he set was that we would find rest in him before we worked a single day of our life. And come on, I want you to see this, and it is not just an isolated teaching in Genesis. It is a theme throughout Scripture. In fact, Jesus says it this way in Matthew chapter 11, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? Rest. Then, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. It's this picture of rest in me, and now we're going to go to work. It's not working for rest. It's working from rest. It is a complete difference in how you see it. Last week, or last week, last year, we went through the book of Ephesians. I'm sure you remember, all right? We went through the book of Ephesians, and what we saw in that book is that we were taught to walk in the Spirit of God and to stand against the devil. But the key is, that's chapters 4, 5, and 6 of Ephesians. What we learned in chapters 1, 2, and 3 is that first, we had to learn how to be at home, how to sit in who Christ is and what he's done for us. Remember, I, my prayer is that you will know, that you will know how, how wide and how high and how long and how deep is the love of Christ, right? I want you to know this love. Then he is able to do immeasurably more than all that you ask or imagine. The pattern is you rest in him and then out of that rest in him, you work. You work. Work from rest, not for rest. 
The pattern has always been, here's what God has done. Now, rest in it and then work from it. Can you imagine the shift that would take place if we really began to live such a paradigm shift? I mean, it's what the kingdom of God is supposed to be like. It's not built on some meritocracy of effort, but it's a foundation of unlearned, undeserved grace. That's the whole picture. This is what God wants for his people. It's to work from rest. Students, there is a difference. When you learn to work from rest instead of for rest, Because we currently live in a culture where I I watch students more than ever who struggle with the pressure and struggle with the anxiety of desiring to live up to this level of grades that must be achieved in order for, for, you know, scholarships to be attained and how we get to certain school and how there is this pressure, there is this build of you got to work, you got to work, you got to work. What would happen in your heart? If instead of working for that rest, you work from a rest that says, do you understand that God loves you fully already? He's accepted you fully already. You don't have to prove anything of of his love for you. You don't earn any of that. He has put his arms around you, taken you in and called you his. You will always be such. Now, study. And it is a total different heart position. It is a total different battle with anxiety because you're working from rest, not working for it. This is the essence of the gospel. It is. Can I, have you ever heard Buddha's dying words? Buddha's dying words were, Strive without ceasing. Hmm. Strive without ceasing. Jesus' last words from the cross, it is finished. (laughs) I'm going with Jesus. Seriously, isn't that just an image? Every other religion in the world is about you got to strive without ceasing and you got you to work to attain some rest. You got to work to a place versus Jesus who goes, done it, it's finished. When God created the world, he invites us to rest with him before commissioning us, commissioning us for a first day, day to work. Well, when Jesus recreates, right, from the cross, he invites us to rest with him. It is finished before even commissioning us to go into all the world to make disciples. Because of Jesus, the ultimate work of salvation has been done. Eternal rest is one. Could it be that the reason we are unable to rest when we need it most. I'm talking about like when the seasons happen and the pressure builds, right? The requirements are pushing down on you. There's an uncertainty in a culture. Man, numbers are climbing and people are sick. And when, when you need to rest the most, could it be that we are unable to do so because we have not put into practice an intentional weekly rhythm of rest that reminds us work from rest, not for it? 
So when David faces impossible odds, when it's overwhelming circumstances, when he's, when he's blindsided by a, a disastrous betrayal of his own son, he can actively remember, I have been taught to trust God every single Sabbath. Every single week of my life, every month, every year, every decade, I have trusted him up until now. Therefore, I can trust him now too. I'm going to sleep. So now is the part of, okay, Jeff, okay, how do you do that? Right? How do you Sabbath? Right? Is it, is it really just, is it like a, just a, the day of, of, a, of a week? Well, how do you do that in your life? Well, I want to give you, for the rest of our time together, some suggestions here. And when I say suggestions, I don't mean they're from my imagination. I, I, I want to show you some things from Scripture that can help you Sabbath. We're going to call them rhythms of rest. Because if you put these into play on a regular basis, the rhythm in your life, it will help you rest when you need to rest most. So here's the first one. We'll go ahead and tackle this one. The first of rhythms of rest is to finish your work. I'm reminding you that in Exodus 20 verse 9, he said, six days you shall labor and do all your work. Now the point is you work from rest, but there's a time to work. And so it's harder to rest on a day that's set aside for rest when there's still work looming over you that was supposed to get done, but you didn't get it done. This is just super practical. Now, come on. I'm not saying for most, most of us maybe get to the end of a week and did we get all the work done that we needed to get done? No, usually not. I'm not saying that all the work gets done. What I am saying is that sometimes we can't practice resting on a, on, a, on a rhythm basis of at least a day per week because we have been resting here and there on the other six days when we were actually supposed to be getting the work done. It's the student who does not study for the exam but asks you to pray for them that they will do well. Here's my advice. You don't need a miracle. You need to go to work. You don't need a miracle. You need to study. There is a responsibility piece that comes with that. When it's time to work, work. When it's time to fight, fight. When it's time to sleep, sleep. Your work bleeds into your rest, and your rest seeps into your work. My, my challenge to you is pick a single day to rest, and when you do, rest well so that you have the strength to stay strong and stay working when you want to go lax in the rest of the week, all right? Super practical. Let's keep rolling. Here's another rhythm of rest. Second rhythm of rest is to reflect on your work. Reflect on your work. Genesis 1, in verse 31, it says, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Here's the practical piece. I want to encourage you maybe that maybe it's the night before your day of rest, all right? Whatever your day is that you rest from work. Do something like maybe a journal where you take out your journal on that evening 
and you take some time to list all the things that you are grateful for from that week. Maybe take some time to list all the wins from that week. I know there are some losses. We all know there's some losses. We all know there's struggles. I'm saying take some time to, to list the things that you're grateful for. Take some time to list the wins. Listen, that's what God did in creation. He creates for six days, and at the, at the end of six days, he, he surveys the whole scenario, and he goes, this is good. This is good. Sometimes we have difficulty resting because we haven't had the sense of really enjoying what we have been able to do. Now, I'm not saying you got to like every aspect of your work. I'm not. Most everybody's got some part of work that they don't just enjoy particularly. But I'm, but I'm saying in your work, there's almost always things that are good. In your work, there's almost always some things that are to be celebrated, especially for those of you who have a critical view of life, all right? You're that person that's always analyzing in the quick list of here's what's wrong and here's some of you, that's, that's just how you see the world. For those of you who have such a view of life, you've got to take time to analyze what is to be right, grateful for, what is to be enjoyed, or your heart will not rest. You won't rest. Take some time to reflect on your work because almost every week there are things that, like God, you would able to go, this is good. God, you are good. Let's keep going. Rhythms of rest. Here's the third one. Share the load. You might have to share the load. In Exodus chapter 20, it says, but the seventh day, is, seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter. And it just keeps listing everybody in the whole nation. He's like, everybody's supposed to rest. Here's, here's the point. How strange would it be if every week I took a day to rest but my wife was never able to take a day of rest because there was always work that needed to be done and she had to get it done. Let's just say that I think Exodus chapter 20 points to the fact that there should be some kind of redistribution of work. Right? That I would help, that she would help because the point is, everybody needs to be able to rest for a day. So I'm just going to be blunt with this one. If you are a lazy husband or a lazy wife, the point is, come on, step up so that your spouse can rest. And likewise, if you are the one that needs somebody to help share that load, be willing to let them do so, all right? With that one statement, this might become the most recommended sermon, right, that has ever been preached, right, by, by me at Heart of Life because I can see it all week long. It's like, honey, you should really listen to that talk on Sunday, man, because I, I was just really blessed by it, and I think you will be blessed by it too, right? Can't you hear that going on this week? What that really means, get your lazy backside out of that recliner and help me, help me. That's actually how some people's hearts feel. 
We laugh about it, but that's actually how some people's soul feels. And there's a responsibility of love when it comes to a household that we're constantly asking the question, not just am I resting, but is she resting? And are my kids able to rest? Can my family rest? We we, we think it's so small, but God's like, you can't survive without this. I'm saying in the same way that a biological family should share the load, so does the family of God. There are times in Scripture where Paul says we're we're supposed to be looking for ways to bear one another's burdens, meaning to lighten the load. We share the load so that people can rest. I heard a story, true story, of a a small group of people, kind of like we think about life teams. This was a small group of people who together they follow Jesus and they're doing life together. And within that small group, There was a single mom who had a couple of young kids. Um, She was trying to finish her degree, and she was working a full-time job to make ends meet. Single mom, two young kids, trying to get a degree, working full-time. And she's admitting to her team of people that she's just feeling a bit stretched. That group of people, after finding out roughly what she made for her job, that group of people decided right then and there, they took an offering and they made pledges to help her for the next semester. And basically what they did is they pooled together among those those groups, those families, enough money to cover her expenses of what she would have made working a job that next semester, and they basically said to her, we're going to cover what it would cost for you to take care of your children and to live so that you can spend the next semester parenting and studying. And you know what? What was going to take her two semesters to finish? She finished it in one, was able then to immediately get a job in her field where she was making enough money to be able to take care of her household and her children. Is that not a beautiful picture of what family looks like? That is supposed to be the household of God. There are moments when you got to share the load, and there are moments where you have to allow people to share the load. Another rhythm of rest is what I call planned spontaneity. Plan spontaneity. That sounds weird, doesn't it? Check out Leviticus 25. Whatever the land yields during the Sabbath year will be food for you. When you read Leviticus 25, you find out that the Sabbath also applied to the the fields, right? Every seven years, the farming grounds were to also be given rest, and they couldn't plant anything for an entire year. But what, what this reminds us is, but you could eat whatever randomly grew up in that field. Because it had been planted before, there were going to be things that came back up. And so whatever came up, it was okay for you to grow from it. When, when I read that, to me, it's like that is this, this picture of the necessity in our lives, right, to plan margin. When we usually talk about margin, we talk finances. But I'm saying to, to plan time. Where, where there is unplanned time, 
that, that you need that kind of break. You need that kind of break where there are going to be shocking moments of, of what God is, right, wants to show you. And, and, and just if you don't create blocks of unplanned time, even your day off will become just another form of wearying work. <laughs> and before you know it, your day off is just another day where you got to get all these things done. It's another day where all these responsibilities have to be right performed. You got to plan some unplanned chunks of time in your Sabbath where you can do what comes to your heart and mind. I'm going to keep rolling. Just a couple of more. A rhythm of rest is to cultivate a hobby. I encourage you to cultivate a hobby. Here's what 1 Corinthians 10 says. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. I'm convinced that like having a hobby, something that you do on that day of rest is an outlet for creativity. It's different than your work. But it'll actually help you replenish the creativity when it's time for you to work. Paul says here, whatever you're doing, whatever you are doing, here's the key, make Jesus look like the treasure that he is. That's the key. Whether you're eating, drinking, whatever hobby you've got, whatever whatever you enjoy doing, make Jesus look like the treasure that he really is. That's your goal. So it's like, People, when it comes to hobbies, man, you and I both know sometimes people latch on to a hobby and that hobby quickly becomes like work, right? And if it doesn't become like work, it consumes their soul. It almost becomes more important at times than we would say spiritual things. All their money goes to the hobby and all their time goes to the hobby. Before you know it, you worship the hobby. And it's like we've totally missed the rest. How do you know? Well, the question is, is that hobby feeding your soul? With, with God connecting experiences, whatever your hobby is, right? Does it link you heart and soul to where you, you are seeing God at work, right? As you're enjoying what, what you get to enjoy, does it lead you closer to his heart or does it make you more distant? Because sometimes we have hobbies that just lead us to a place that we think nothing of God. He has nothing to do with it. Does your hobby like refresh physically, emotionally, spiritually, or does it deplete you? Because I know some people that have hobbies, and when they get home, they're looking forward to work so they can rest. Their hobby takes so much of life that they're ready to go back to work so they can rest. Like, no, we're missing it. Right? Does your hobby involve being able to bring other people into it for the point of making Jesus known as great as he really is? I would tell you those are the kinds, those are the hobbies that actually bring your heart and your soul to life. A rhythm of rest is to cultivate such a hobby. I got one more. Last rhythm of rest is to be present with God. Here's what Hebrews chapter four says. It says, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. 
For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works just as God did from his. If you, if you read Hebrews chapter 4, here's where it lands. Now, Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. This is now bigger than just a day of the week. Now, does it negate that need for the day of the week? No, no. This doesn't mean that you don't need a day out of seven where your work ceases so that you can rest. It's not just for your body, it's for your soul. But to just have a day of the week where you do something different than your work is not the picture that that God has planned for you. He wants you to have that day. But what he wants in all seven days is that you are connected to the Jesus who who will forgive your sin, bring you to life again, embrace you in his family. That is where you find rest. That's where you find rest. When we do that, a day a week, it is this rhythm, an opportunity that we will rest in him every single day of the week. That we begin to see on Monday, God, you are good. God, when I see this that is beautiful, I know you made this. God, you are good. We read from the Psalms that that is the pattern that existed in David's life. These songs that, that he wrote, you can hear him declaring the things that he sees and a God who created it and how beautiful it is. You, you see this rhythm in his life so that even when 10,000 soldiers are hunting him down, he does not panic. He goes to sleep. Not because he's given up hope. Not because he doesn't care. But because he knows. He's not alone. And God's got him. I'm going to read it one more time. Psalm 3. I lie down and sleep. I wake again. Check out the next line. Because the Lord sustains me. That's what David was reminded of every single Sabbath. Every day of the week that he, the king, you think the king had anything important to do? You think the king had any responsibilities for a kingdom? But on a regular basis, the king would rest. And the kingdom kept spinning. The world kept spinning. And David was reminded that although he was a powerful man, it was God who held it all. It was God who sustained it all. And when you know those truths... You can rest. Whether you're working a job or going to school or whatever you're doing, you can rest. He's got it. I want you to know that in such a time 
as this. I mean, what a year. What chaos. And we're still sitting here with a number of pieces of our world that are uncertain. I just want you to know, you can sleep well. You can. You can rest well. And when you rest well, then you will fight well. You will fight well. This is God's design. Don't turn the Sabbath into some ritual thing where God takes a day from you. No, the Sabbath is going, this is how I made you. I'm not taking a day from you. I'm giving more days to you. I pray today, not just that you will fight for a day that you will rest but that you will also know what it is to be connected to Jesus. Who gives you rest for your soul. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And I will give you rest. God, I'm asking for your people today that they might know such miraculous truth in their life, in their soul. God, we are a culture that to say we're busy is an overstatement. God, we pride ourselves in times of long lists of what needs to be done and making sure there's always more. And I'm asking you, God, to teach us. I'm asking you to show us, God, there is a, there is a right approach to working hard. But if we work hard for rest, our soul will be weary. When we learn to work from rest, we come alive. God, I pray for every person who hears my voice that our work would no longer have to be ultimately about an approval rating or a perfection status. You have finished all that you have forgiven us you have made us right with you you have finished all that so that now what we do we get to do from a love that accepts God I pray (laughs) I pray today that the truth of what we have looked at today, God, you will stir the hearts of your kids today. God, stir the heart of your church today. 
that we might fight better than we have ever fought. Like you've called us to in this world when you teach us to rest. It's in the name of Jesus that I ask it.